You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Dean, the pastor at City Church. We're starting a new series today called Fish Out of Water. We'll get into that in just a minute. Thanks for showing up in a monsoon. I really appreciate it. You know what they say, those who come when the weather is nice, they love the church. Those who come when it's raining, they love God. That's what they say. Uh, I'm just kidding. That's the rumor out there. So thank you uh, for being here. Now, as it starts raining a little harder again, it starts to have that little nice noise up there. That's like perfect nap situation. So if you fall asleep while I'm preaching, I'm going to pray you break out in a rash, just so you know. Uh, That's that's going to be the prayers that I I lift up. So I'm really insecure. So don't fall asleep while I'm preaching. I'll make me feel bad about myself. We're in a series called Fish Out of Water. It's going to be a couple of weeks. We're going through the book of of Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to work verse by verse uh, through that great chapter in the Bible. We're actually going to work backwards in it, uh, which sounds a little strange. We're going to see the framework of exactly what Paul's talking about and where he draws the conclusions at the end of the chapter that he's drawing. So what do we mean by fish out of water. It means that you feel out of place. Uh, You feel like you don't belong. You feel like you stand out. And for Christians, it actually should feel that way for us in this world. We should feel like a fish out of water. Uh, Not because we're better than anybody else, because our loyalties are to another place, as we'll see in the text. Last summer, my family went to Boston. Um, Really big Patriots fan, really big Celtics fan. I got my Patriots shoes on today uh, because I'm ready for football season, ready for the fall. All of those things. Go Patriots to one of us right here. Very thankful. Uh, So, And then the Bucks are are my second favorite team for two years on a rental side note, uh, just just because of Tom Brady and Gronk. Uh, But we went to Boston, and uh, my kids always wear Patriots clothes, like all the time my boys do. And we're walking around in Boston, and other people are wearing Patriots clothes. And for my kids, all they ever get when they wear Patriots clothes in Tallahassee at school is booze and mockery. And people are jealous. Our team's not as good as the Patriots. It's one of those things, you know? Uh, so they, they just get booed. They get, they're given a hard time, all those type of things. And my son, Ty, as we're walking around, made a comment. He's like, this is the first time I've ever worn Patriots clothes, and no one's giving me a hard time about it. Like here being in Boston. When I get back to Tallahassee, They'll give me a hard time again. Everybody roots against the Patriots. These are my people, is what he felt like in Boston. And the reality is, for us as a church, being people who are fish out of water, this right here should feel like our people. This should feel like a sense of normalcy for us in this world when we come together. This should be a little bit of on earth as it is in heaven for us as people who belong to another world. Like this is the time where everything feels okay again when we join as the church. A fish out of water. I mean, think about that for a minute, what that is like. Feeling out of place. Showing up somewhere and noticing that you're a little bit different. It's kind of like, I don't know, having a full set of teeth and going to Gainesville. You just kind of feel weird, right? You just feel a little different, you know, walking around. It's just sort of, it's just one of those kind of things. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. The truth that we have received, that God has given us, it's not just head knowledge, it's not just a hat tip of belief, it's not an association or just a family heritage, we should now live up to this. We should live the truth we have received. The truth of who Jesus is, of what he's done for us, that we are sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. That's not going to matter to us until we're first right about who God is. 
We can actually know who God is because he's given us the scriptures. He's given us his truth. That's how we have an actual knowledge of God. Is our knowledge limited? Of course it is. But everything God wants us to know about himself, he has provided for us in the scriptures. That's why Bible reading is so critical, is so important. So we can know God more, know his truth more. But it's not meant to just remain in our brains or to be a cultural thing for us, or just an association. Now we wanna live, live up to what we now are, which are his people who have received his truth. So Paul says he's trying to do this. He says, join in imitating me. He's not saying he's perfect. He's going, hey, I'm trying. Come with me here, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Let other people who are doing this be our examples. Let's look to actual people who are also trying to follow Jesus to be the ones we want to be more like, the ones we want to admire. How often does our admiration go in the wrong places? We admire the wrong things in people. We look to things that God does not look to for legitimacy. He says, hey, I'm trying here too to live up to this truth. Join me in doing that. Let's look to others who are doing that as well. Not that we see them as idols, but we see them as people that we want to model after, as mentors, as examples for us. Then he shifts gears here. He goes, for I've often told you, I mean, he's written to them before. He's spoken to them before. He was a part of their church, helped plan it, get it started. And now say again with tears, not with judgment, not with condemnation, but actual brokenness over the state of what's happening. He says, many live as enemies of the cross as anti-Jesus, as anti-gospel, as people who do not bow down and worship Christ, but instead we're told they do instead. He says that their end is destruction. Like, let's, let's not be mistaken. Let's not be in denial. Let's not pretend that God will not let sin go unpunished. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who never sinned, that he actually was punished in our place. If by faith we receive his good news, believe in him, and repent of our sins, we'll be declared not guilty, but not others. But to stand before God based on their own record, and even one sin separates us from God. He says their end is, is destruction. He says their God is their stomach. And by that, he doesn't mean they eat too much and don't do enough Pilates. He's not saying when they go to Sonny's, they actually always get the all you can eat. They're refusing to get the diet or special or a big deal with no bun. That's not what he's saying here. This is not rebuking people for going to the buffet for a fifth time. At least not in this context in this story. Their God is their stomach, meaning their God is their own selves. Their own self-consumption. Rather than being for Christ, they're for them. They're for this world. Me, 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 me. He says their glory, the glory they're longing for is is in their shame. That's what it brings about. I mean, how shameful that your glory ends in destruction. That your God being your stomach ends in just that. Shame, destruction. And then he says the big picture of what actually is the real problem. They're focused on earthly things. They are focused on earthly things. That that's how they got here. That that is their issue. And that's actually why Jesus came for a people who aren't focused on God, but are focused on earthly things instead. 
And then he shifts gears. From this concern, these tears over these people whose end is their destruction, whose glory is their shame, whose God is their stomachs, who are focused on this world, and this is gonna be the best things ever are for them. For an unbeliever, this world right now is the best it will ever be for you in terms of your life. And for the Christian, this world is the, this life right here on earth is the worst things will ever be for us. Because eternity is a real place where real people go. And there'll be no, no, no death, no sickness, no abuse, no disease, no injustice. He says our citizenship, notice the contrast here, our citizenship is in heaven. That's where it is. They're focused here. We can't be that way because we know that we might live here, but our citizenship is in somewhere else. And we eagerly, as a result of that, since we have a knowledge of this, we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who tells us, tells us strongly the very good news that he has gone to prepare a place for us, that where he is one day, we will be also. So what does it look like to first live as a fish out of water? To live as a citizen of somewhere else while still actually having your address here? Is to realize we have a different God, is the first thing. We have a different God than the God of the lowercase g God of this world. We have a different God, and he's the only one true God. The God of this world is what? Themselves. It's earthly things. No, we have a different God. We have a different set of loyalties. When you become a Christian, when you, it's a conversion religion, you actually convert to Christianity. You're not born a Christian, you convert to Christianity by your understanding of the gospel that God has made known to you by his grace, of your need for Jesus, that you can't save yourselves, that you're someone who's focused on earthly things, your God's your stomach. When you become a Christian and God gives you new life, your citizenship changes. One of my favorite things in the entire world is to watch or be a witness to a, I don't know exactly what it's called, but an American citizenship swearing in ceremony. It's just really neat. You know, to see people who maybe have tried to come to this country for whatever reason to find a better life for their family or you know, job transfer or, or some to escape you know, horrid conditions, whatever it might be, I just think it's just amazing when people come into our country, just as a Christian, and that's not politics, just as someone who loves my neighbor, I just love to see that. I think it's incredible, I think it's amazing. And I love it at that time when somebody gets sworn in to all the, they went through their requirements to become an American citizen and they officially become one. It's just a really neat thing. I, I, just, I just love it. When you become a Christian, like you at that moment of your conversion, you have your own citizenship ceremony where all of a sudden you are now maybe living here, but now you're identified as something different than you were before. You're not someone that's identified as of this world but now you're identified by the life you're going to have with God. And it's a beautiful thing. So based on that, verse 20, about citizenship and where it is, that it's in heaven, how we're waiting for Christ to return one day for his people, that's the framework and the idea for everything he said previously in chapter three. That was important to establish first. He's basically concluding all the things he's making a case for before that. So to now read where I'll be mainly this morning, verses 12 through 14, it was important to first know why he's saying those things. And it's based on these last few verses already just a moment ago about the world versus the people of God. So we get to verse 12, and Paul's talking about following Jesus' desire to be more like Christ. And here's what he says. Not that I've already reached the goal 
or I'm already perfect. Like, I'm not there yet. I'm not trying to tell you guys that I'm perfect or that I've arrived. There was a, a, a belief system that was, that was creeping in at the time into the church, and some people have held it, very few people have held it over church history, and still some hold to it now. It's an idea of perfectionism. It's you can basically like be as close to perfect as you possibly can after your conversion. You can like achieve perfection in this life once you come to Christ. Uh, I, there, I, I, read a, I watched a video of a pastor who said he had gone three whole days without sinning. I was like, two things. One, I want to ask his wife about that because she'll probably say he's full of it. She would know. And, 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 and second, he just did by lying, right? And that doesn't mean it sin's inevitable for us, but the thought that we can achieve some kind of perfection status is just not true to the scriptures. This was, this was starting to creep in this idea. Uh, so Paul's saying, oh no, I haven't been made perfect. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not with those guys. I'm not saying that, but as someone who is redeemed, who does know Jesus, I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Because Jesus has taken hold of me, now I'm making every effort to be more like him. That is the focus of my life now. Now it's important we get the wording right here. Notice he doesn't say, I'm trying to do these things and live the Christian life so Christ will take a hold of me. If I do these things, then he'll accept me. If I do these things, then God will love me. No, 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 he's saying because Christ has taken a hold of me already by his grace, now I strive towards these things. I don't work for God's love, I work from it. I don't work for so I can get the right position with God, I work because through Jesus' death and resurrection and my regeneration of being made new, now positionally I am right with God. So now I want to live my life with God. I want that to be what forms me, that to be what motivates me. He says, he says brothers and sisters, I do not consider my life to have taken hold of it. Again, I'm not there yet. I'm a work in progress just like all of you. Paul definitely didn't think he was perfect. He called himself the chief of sinners in the Bible. In Romans 7, he talks about his struggle. He says things like, I know what I'm supposed to do as a Christian, but for some reason I just can't seem to do it. Anyone ever feel that way? Isn't it nice the Bible has like the main author of the New Testament says the same thing. Isn't that kind of comforting? Like, I haven't arrived there yet either. And here, but he says, here's, here's his strategy. But one thing I do, here's my focus, here's my game plan. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, because that doesn't define me anymore. They're not who I used to be. I'm not the sins of last week or of five years ago. There might be some consequences I have to deal with on earth because of my choices and because of my sins but God's not holding us to our past, so why should we hold ourselves to our past? That God's not remembering our past. Now God is God, he can remember anything, he's all knowing, but what he means is like a, a choice, like an actual choice he makes that our sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. I have no idea how far that is. And that's the point, that it's that far removed. That our past is not who we are. The scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says if anyone's in Christ, that they're a new creation. The, the old is gone. The new has come. So he goes, I'm, not, I'm, for, I'm forgetting what is behind. And I'm reaching forward to what is ahead. Well, what is ahead for him? He's going to tell us. I pursue as my goal, verse 14, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So what's, what's my ambition now? What's my goal? It's Jesus. It's a life with him. It's becoming more like him. 
It's being a part of his mission. It's being formed to his likeness. Like he now is my motivation. He's my ambition. Like he's my goal. Why? Because he already has taken hold of me. He's dealt with my past already. And now instead of looking back and looking back and looking back, now I look forward every day to what God has promised me. And that is life with him on this earth and forever. So as a fish out of water, not only do I have a different God, I have different goals. I have different goals than people who are focused on earthly things. Does that mean all my goals have to be coded in like Christian language? That's not what I'm saying at all. I think ambition can be godly. I think goals can be godly. But the issue is what is driving me now? Like what is my motivation? Is it me or is it the Lord? Is it what I want or is it what he wants? Like is his word what drives me? Is it what God's goodness that makes me want to achieve these goals? Is it to be his ambassador, to pursue him rather than other things? I have different goals. So the New Testament rings with two amazing themes. Now, there's a lot of themes, but two that just really stick out to me. And one is the grace of Christ. That Jesus has given us his life. It's that while we were sinners that Christ died for us. He's made us his own people. When we become Christians, God adopts us into his family. He calls us his own. Jesus refers to us as his bride. Like that kind of level of relationship, that we are now in Christ. We have a union with him. And second, that now because of all those things, we're highly motivated to pursue more of Christ. Now we're highly motivated to put forth effort to live for Jesus. See, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. As we think our efforts earn us our oneness with the Lord, that our efforts earn us our forgiveness of sins, that's when we get into very dangerous anti-gospel enemies of the cross waters. Instead, the reality is, because Christ has taken hold of us, now we put forth great effort to work out our salvation, to free ourselves from a life of sin, and to pursue more of the things of God. Like, it's good news for all of us. I'm pressing on because Jesus has made me his own. So it also means I have a reason to get up in the morning. I have a reason to not just merely exist. It means that my life matters. It means that my life counts. It means that God wants to do something with me, but the great thing he wants to do with me is to make me more like Jesus. It's to give me more of himself. And as I grow in that, I begin to understand, I begin to be reminded that the greatest blessing God gives us is God. It's himself. And I'm also reminded this world is never supposed to feel awesome. There should always be a little bit of attention for the Christian as being a fish out of water. Like it should always, we always really should be a little homesick and that's hard for us being Christians in 2020 in the West. That's hard because a lot of people in this room don't really have a lot of needs. And maybe the needs we have are because of the lifestyles we've created. So we gotta make sure we meet that need. It's not a real need, it's a to maintain, right? So it's hard to ever think that this world isn't the best because we're really enjoying it right now, a lot of people. Is it wrong to enjoy this world? No, God created it. Like the blessings of God are to be enjoyed by the people of God, by the people he has made. What we realize is we can easily get out of sync where God's blessings become higher than the blesser. 
when our life that God has given us starts to drive more than actually the life we want with God. It can be a very dangerous ground. And we must realize this, that the way we live forward as fish out of water based on Philippians 3 is understanding two things. One is that Jesus is our righteousness and Jesus is our reward. He is our righteousness. He is our goodness. Not ourselves, not our efforts. When you become a Christian, his righteousness is imputed to you. You're covered in it now. You've received it. And because of that, he's our reward. And the question we have to ask ourselves as Christians living in this age, is that enough for us? Are we satisfied with that news? Because we have Christian brothers and sisters around the world in persecution who, they know that to be true. He's my reward. He's my righteousness. It's easy for me to go, yeah, amen, but what about, have you thought about also, hey, I got this thing over here, it's hard. There's a reason why Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And by rich men, I mean people that live in the United States compared to the rest of the world. It's hard. Why? Because this world just seems really great. Rather than this world being a fallen place for temporary residents of. My grandfather, uh, passed away maybe, I don't know, 12 years ago. And he's a very, very proud Italian man. First generation American. Uh, after my great grandparents came to this country, uh, they went into Ellis Island. Uh, he was born really shortly after. And uh, very, very proud. Like Italians, you always know they're Italian. It's like CrossFit people, it's like we know. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's like they're always gonna tell you. It's just, it's just, it's just a thing. Uh, so Italian people always let you know that they're Italian. Uh, so I remember growing up watching the Olympics with my grandfather, I always go to his house to watch sports, like all the time. And he would always root for the Italians. Like he would root for the Italian, you know, downhill skier. There's a guy named Alberto Tomba. I remember him to this day. You know, he would root for him. And, and we would, you know, we're not really Italian soccer because we could only watch soccer for about 30 seconds. But, uh, but, you know, but all the other things, we always root for the Italian people. So to this day, now, you know, I'm like an eighth Italian or something like that, something like that. I still, in the Olympics come on, always cheer for the Italians. I'm like other different nationalities too, but like I don't even like pay attention to them. Because I was like, put in my mind, you're Italian, you're Italian. It's all my grandpa ate was Italian food. He had Italian flags in his house. He's just like very, and even when it comes to Italian family, know that it's like par for the course, right? That's just part of it. So this day now, years later, I still want to watch the Olympics, always pull for the Italian athletes who are in the Olympics. But something about my grandfather, he always pulled for America first. Always did. World War II vet. Like he always rooted for America. He was all about his Italians. But he always pulled first for the Americans. Because even though his roots were in Italy, he saw himself as an American first. And was actually very proud of that. He served his country, all those type of things. And I was thinking about my grandpa. I think about him a lot. Uh, but I was thinking about him as I prepared this message today that for us, our roots are of this world. Like that, that's where we come from, is a fallen place. We're born sinners and then prove it was true by sinning ourselves. We proved that wasn't crazy because we sin. Like these are our roots, but our identity and our loyalty is for another land. It's for another land, one that is to come but one that can be realized now as the people of God, the church, living out their lives for the glory of God. Now, we still care about this world. 
Yeah, my grandpa still loves his Italy. He always did. We still care about this world. We still know about this world. We're still engaged in this world. As people who God calls to love his neighbors or pursuing Christ, trying to attain, live to the, the truth we've obtained. We want to care about the affairs of this world and the needs of this world and the hurts of this world and ways that we can be a blessing to others, make our light shine before others. Why? Because ultimately we want to point people to a better world, a world that is with God. So we care about this world, but we realize this is not our home. It's our roots. America is our roots. It's where we live. But it's not where we have our ultimate loyalty. Our ultimate loyalty and our true identity as fish out of water is found in Christ and the world that is to come. And that should cause a little bit of attention in our lives. Like I, I think it's one of those things where when, in any political system, for a Christian it should always cause a little bit of attention because it's not heaven. It's American, it's not perfect. So there should always be some kind of you know, it's always, you know, every issue is not gonna perfectly line up for anybody. I hope it wouldn't because this is a worldly system, not one of the kingdom of God. So there's always gonna be a few things that you go, uh, and there should be that kind of tension for a fish out of water. Like it's good for it to feel that way. It's a good thing. It also means that this identity it triumphs over everything in my life, that that is the goal, being more like Jesus, that that's the pursuit, that's the one thing I do, Paul said. I'm focusing on what is to come, it means that I have to, have to now actually care about what it is that God has to say compared to what the world has to say. Situations like, well, you know, my, my, my wife or my husband, really great person, really great parents, no animosity, we're real, things are, things are fine, but you know, now we just realized that we just weren't really, we're more roommates our whole lives because we just focused on the kids and now that the kids are out of the house, we waited, you know, not until they got out of the house and now that they're out of the house, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna get divorced just because, you know, we just grown apart and everything's fine, you know, but everything's fine, like we're cool, but I'm, I'm gonna make sure we take care of each other, like financially and all that and, and again, we can be in the same room, there's no hostility, but you know, it's just time for us to go live our lives. We're just different people now and everyone's like, oh, okay, that makes sense and I'm like, wait, what does God have to say about that? What does God have to say about that? Because people who are not citizens of this world, we care about what he has to say more than what anyone else has to say or even how I feel. How do we know what God has to say? Through the scriptures. Or we say things like, you know, I just can't be around someone that, that, votes, for, that, that votes differently than I do. I, I just have no respect whatsoever. I can't even, I don't understand it. I just can't even be in the same room. Want nothing to do with them. Just going to kind of cancel them out of my life, unfriend, unfollow, like all, like all, just done. I can't, I can't, I can't anymore. I'm not even going to Thanksgiving this year. I, I, I just can't do it. Well, what does God have to say about that? What does God have to say about that? Is a Biden voter your neighbor? Is a Trump voter your neighbor? Do you get to pick who the neighbor is that you're supposed to love? Like, what does God say? It doesn't mean you can't be annoyed. Gosh, if being annoyed was a spiritual gift, I'd have already attained perfection, right? But, <laughs> but it doesn't mean those things. It means that I'm not exempt from things if I belong to this kingdom. For this world, that makes sense. Totally makes sense. I read that one in six people no longer speak to a family member or a friend because of the 2016 election. 
That makes sense for the world. If our God is our stomachs, we focus on earthly things, enemies of the cross, perfect sense. Because this means this is ultimate. So to disagree with me is like the ultimate sin, right? Because all my identity is wrapped up in here, in my career, my life, my family, my politics, my happiness, my fulfillment. That's all that matters. God's my stomach. But being for the cross and a citizen of somewhere else turns that upside down. And it's gonna make you feel uncomfortable sometimes because the gospel does that. Following Jesus interferes with our lives. That's why Jesus said, if you don't wanna pick up your cross, like die to who you are and follow me, this is not for you. He said, you can't be my disciple. Now salvation is free for us. Now it costs Jesus everything, but it's free for us. But you know what? Following Jesus ain't cheap. It ain't cheap at all. But the resurrection assures us that we're not wasting our time. That our faith is not in vain, as 1 Corinthians 15 would say it was, that there was no resurrection. That there's a different king now, and his name is Jesus, and that's where my loyalty lies. So if we're gonna reach our community, if we're just gonna individually live for Jesus, corporately as a church live for Jesus, if we're gonna reach Tallahassee and take the gospel to the ends of the earth, we gotta forget what's behind, we gotta strive for what is forward, and go after more and more of life with God. More and more of life with Christ where that becomes our identity over everything else, where it impacts my, my worldview, it impacts my, my politics, it impacts my relationships, my marriage, my parenting, how I approach work, my finances. God, it's all yours. It's all your money. Like, like whatever, you, blank check, whatever you wanna do, it's yours. My life, same way. It's, like, it, it's yours. My, my, my parenting, they're not, they're not my kids, they're your kids. Like everything shifts, everything changes. Because now our, our loyalty is to somewhere else. Which means sometimes there's gonna be hard conversations you have to have. Sometimes this world's not gonna like you. Just make sure they don't like you because of what Jesus has said, not because you're a jerk. That's how we find the balance. But this is the life that we've signed up for. And it's a glorious life because we're citizens of a world to come. Everybody else's citizenship's gonna expire. And then there'll be an eternity of actually having to be accountable to God for our sins. Heaven and hell are real places where real people go. That is not Southern revivalistic, made up kind of scare language. Jesus talked about it all the time. But the good news is it's not hellfire and brimstone. The good news is no one has to go there because Jesus has come to do what we can never do, which is reconcile ourselves to God. And that's really good news for all of us. So in the meantime, we realize that he is our God, he is our goal. He is our righteousness, he is our reward. So when Paul says, my citizenship is in heaven, like we're eagerly waiting for Jesus, that thought of come Lord Jesus is the cry of Christians. So in the meantime, until he does come, we remind ourselves over and over again that he is faithful that what he has promised us will come true, that one day all things will be made new, and that forever he will be our God and we will be his people. And in the meantime, it's distinct lives that are gonna point to a distinct God. So that's what would it look like for you to go, I'm, I'm going all in with Christ. I don't, I'm going all in. I'm asking myself that same question. I haven't attained this either, I'm not there yet. But what would that look like? Man, church, I'm gonna be there. 
Reading my Bible, I'm gonna make it happen. Like, like making decisions, things I gotta cut out of my life. Man, we're, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna walk alongside some Christian friends and they're gonna help me do that. Why? Because God has a hold of me in Christ. And I wanna live for that and make that my purpose for everything. One day I'll hopefully get there close. Hopefully one day you will too. But one day we all definitely will when all is made perfect and well in the place where our citizenship ultimately lies. So we can like this world and enjoy this world, just not too much. Because our citizenship is somewhere else and our loyalty is to a different king. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for that. I pray for those this morning that, that are just straddling that line between the world and between you. Lord, I just ask that you almost reprogram our minds, that you get out all the clutter, maybe the years of just pointless religion, just heritage-based or moral-based or tradition-based that didn't mean anything in our lives. Lord, now we ask it'll mean everything in our lives. Pray for our country right now. Pray for those who are hurting. Pray for those who are confused, who are angry, who feel like they have no hope. Lord, we ask we point people to Christ. We know this world is not as it is supposed to be, so we long for one to come. We want to be so enamored with heaven that we want to do as much good here as possible because we realize that the end is destruction and God's people, God, that their people's gods is their stomach and their glory is their shame, their focus on earthly things. And Lord, I acknowledge that Paul cried when he wrote that. It wasn't judgment or condemnation. It was true tears of the reality. So Lord, don't let us be blinded by reality. Let us be provoked instead to go be in people's lives, to point people to a different world, a different God, a different set of goals. That's about your glory and not our own. About your kingdom and not ours. About your life and life with you rather than self-centered life upon us and our worlds. Thank you for this church. Thank you for our city. Pray for all the churches in our community as they continue to build back and regather people. Lord, this matters to you, so it should matter to us. Your church coming together to gather. Lord, let us be encouraged to go out and live as fish out of water this week for the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing some good news.